right, hello. This is Norman. Thanks for joining me again today. This is the Run With Horses podcast, and as always, my goal is to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus and grow in your ability to follow Him faithfully. And along the way, I meet lots of interesting people and have uh, occasional resources that we want to present that might be interesting for you. And today, have a special treat. We have a uh, author of a book titled "Of Wizards and Warriors," and the age range is probably seven or eight and up. Um, say preteens would be a, a good fit there. So I know a lot of you guys have kids in that range. So we're going to talk a little bit about this book, but also about literature in general, about the arts in general, and how they are part of what we can use to help disciple our kids. So um, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. So this is Samuel Borman, and he is currently in Mexico. And just go ahead and give us, you know, take three or four minutes and tell us who you are and yeah, start there. All right. So uh, thank you very much for letting me come on and uh, uh, use up some of your valuable airtime. Um, uh, as as Mr. Smith said, my name is Samuel Bornman. Uh, I am currently living on the mission field in Mexico, helping my parents with our family's uh, uh, demonstration farm where we use agriculture techniques to help people feed their families and meet their felt needs um, yeah, as a bridge to building uh, relationships and friendships from which we can then share the gospel. Um, and I have been an avid reader since I was little. Um, my mother and father made books a major part of our lives, you know, bedtime stories since I was old enough to understand what bedtime stories were. Um, and uh, sometimes we still sit around the fire in the evening and uh, read a book or two. And um, so books have been a part of my life since I was really little. And at about age 12 or so, I decided I wanted to start writing books after I was unsatisfied with the endings of several books I'd read. Um, <laughs> I've had that experience. <laughs> Yes, my father encouraged me to Samuel. If you if you wanna if you're gonna complain about the ending, uh, just go ahead and write your own book. Um, so that 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 got me started, and now I have published my first book. Awesome. So this is your first book. Do you intend to write only fiction, or do you have you written any nonfiction or any interest in that area? So I have considered uh, a biography an autobiography um, of our family's life and mission. But mostly I really like the fiction genre because you can use it to teach people uh, or present uh, morals and values um, when people are disarmed by a story of monsters and wizards and dragons because, you know, you kind of uh, suspend their disbelief for a moment and you're able to um, – not manipulate them, but present something that they may not have been willing to uh, consider if they were picking up a uh, much more like scholarly work. Um, and I occasionally do some political essays, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know my family's creative, so there are, I think, four out of the five of us who have written something. Uh, my My wife's written the most. She's written... Uh, combination of nonfiction and a, a little bit of fiction. 
then I've written some. My son is, we're trying to get him, he's written a good book. It's probably science fiction, but he's okay. not really willing to go the next step to let anybody else do anything mm. with it. I mean, my, my wife's read and said, hey, this is worth fixing and worth, you know, a second draft. He's like, no, I'm done. <laughs> it's, it's quite a process to write a book, as you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I think that think, uh, the tools like uh, the Amazon self-publishing world really make it easier for a new author to get, uh, get into the publishing world. Um, but there is a slight stigma against uh, self-published books because people are like, ah, oh, they're unprofe unprofessionally edited, their formatting is bad, you know. So um, it, it takes some work to overcome that. Right, definitely. So I, before we get to the book, just in general, um, I know from our experience growing up, raising our kids on the mission field, we were in Japan for 20 years. So there's a lot of interesting um, lessons that come from navigating another culture and life internationally. So how has your life in Mexico and as a missionary influenced both what you write about and how you write about it. Yeah, so that's a that's a question I haven't had before. Um, it's, it's 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 interesting. Um, so I think that looking at other cultures really gives you um, makes you think about your own culture, um, what what you believe, why you believe it. Um, and it helps you helps you consider your your Christianity, especially when you're living in a pagan culture, a pagan nation. Um, so, I think that it has really helped me uh, grow um, uh, in, in in my faith because you know you're you're presenting ideas to these people that maybe they've never heard or they've heard something like that. Um, they've heard, you know, maybe about the Ten Commandments or about, uh, uh, you know, the Christmas story, but they don't really, really understand what, what Christianity is and how that influences daily life. And so it gets you thinking about it. Um, and so I've, I've, I've thought quite a bit about how does, how do I write as a Christian, um, how do I write fiction as a Christian? And how do I write violence in fiction as a Christian? Mm -hmm. um, because if you read the Bible, um, it, can, it can be very violent. Mm -hmm. um, and it is unapologetically so um, when, when God is punishing the evildoers, when God is pu punishing the wicked, when God is punishing his own people who have rebelled against him. Um, and so you, 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 you look at Christianity and missions and you then look at writing and it's a combination of life, um, with, with life experiences. Um, it's a little bit challenging to explain. Um, but, uh, it's like, um, you know, you have you have an adventure here, teaching somebody about Jesus, talking to them about the gospel, and then you work that into your writing. 
Um, you work in like, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily write a very evangelistic, um, book. Uh, my book is not supposed to teach you how to live a Christian life. Mm -hmm. It is presenting you with Christian morals and, Mm -hmm. and, and values. And so I think that that is, that is, that is how that works in, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's something we'll come back to in a minute. Because I mean, I think books like this, um, they give you some topics that parents need to talk about with their kids. So it doesn't. The book doesn't have to teach the topic. Really, the parents are responsible for that. But it does give you an open door where you presented it in a context where the the kids actually are going to read it and go, "Oh, that was interesting." Okay, well, let's talk about some of the deeper truths there. And I think um, mm-hmm. the book. It, doesn't have to carry that weight. I mean, really, that's the weight that that the parents should carry. So I know when I think about um, fiction and just art in general, so I'm uh, an artist. I'm working on a mural behind me. You can see this is a Tokyo mm-hmm. skyline. It's the Mount Fuji okay. there in the background. Um, I've used a lot of art in Japan <clears throat> as a method of outreach. But then occasionally, like when I exhibit, I'll put a a painting that... Uh, the painting can't share the gospel, but what it does is make somebody ask a question, and then mm-hmm. when they ask the question, I have the conversation, and yeah. that's the whole point. And I think books like this, that's really what they can do, is they can help set up a conversation with your kids. Um, yeah. Good. Yeah, you make a good point. I don't want to take the teaching away from parents, because that's what God gave them, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes people delegate that authority, but... It should be from the parents. Right. Yeah, and even when they delegate it, they're delegated understanding that I'm ultimately responsible for what my, <laughs> my kids, even though I may ask somebody else to help me occasionally. So, okay, let's go ahead and take the time now, and can you give us a like a brief synopsis of the book? So it's Of Wizards and Warriors. Yes. So Of Wizards and Warriors starts out um, with the protagonist, whose name is Stout, a young man living in a village with his family. Um, They are surrounded by this forest that is uh, taboo. You're not supposed to enter it. Uh, There's stories about monsters dwelling there, all that sort of stuff. And, well, obviously he leaves his small city village and enters this forest um, with his friend Sally. And while they are in this forest um, where they're not really supposed to be, they, the, the, their city gets attacked and uh, uh, destroyed by these beasts that are called Dark Eternals, which are uh, creatures that can shapeshift between man and dragon form. Um, and they get in, in the forest. They run into some trouble. They meet one of the Dark Eternals. They get rescued, and their rescuer takes them to the Knights of Light. Um, He takes them to a safe place where they can be cared for. Um, While he's there, uh, Stout has a dream, a vision, in which the light tells him that he has been chosen to go stop Kalkulo, the evil wizard, who is basically the rallying point of the Dark Eternal's armies. Um, And so he sets out on this quest, you know, he gets trained, he gets sent out on this quest to go stop this evil wizard 
who is creating uh, man and uh, animal uh, conglomerates to be his basically super soldiers. And, um, you know, he has all these adventures along the way. He grows. He becomes a little bit more mature. Uh, He faces the wizard, fights with the wizard, rescues Sally, who's been captured by the wizard, um, and then uh, doesn't actually defeat the wizard himself. Um, The wizard hides, and his end is of his own making. Uh, I don't want to spoil the story for any readers out there, but um, in the in the end, Stout sets everything to right with the help of the Light, who then appears on the field of battle and uh, proclaims himself after he is killed as the wounded victor. So it's a so there you have some uh, uh, typological themes there from the Bible. Um, and that just kind of works its way in because of who I am as as a Christian. Right. Sure. So I guess uh, one question. Um, obviously, it it is in the same genre as, as Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and things like that. So why this genre? Is that just because you're a big fan of things like that? Or is there some other reason why you choose this? Oh, well, um, as I mentioned before, there's that suspension of uh, disbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I am a fan of Tolkien. I am a fan of C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's something powerful about fairy tales. Um, fairy tales have been told by men for a long time. Um, I mean, you could say that some of the early fairy tales are like... Um, the, the myth of Gilgamesh, the legend of Gilgamesh. Uh, there is the uh, the Greek myths of gods and goddesses. I would put those in the uh, fairy tale genre um, because all of them are trying to express truth, trying to express um, um how, how they see the world, how they understand the world, expressing morals or lack of morals, um, and to, to the extent the teller understands. Um, so I really like that style for communicating values um, and truths because it just gives itself to it. And fairy tales are remembered easily. Um People remember them, especially children remember them. I know I've been influenced by by fairy tales I've read, and I remember them. Like sometimes I might not remember the whole story, but I remember the idea of the character and what he did, mm-hmm. especially when I'm personally struggling with something or am facing a challenge. I'm like, well, okay, now I need to be like Frodo and Sam, or mm-hmm. you know, just persevere or whatever. And it may seem a little silly. Um, but we really do think that way. I, I think many people think that way, whether they really admit it or not. Um, and that can be um, for someone who's not a not a believer. You know, they probably won't be influenced by the Bible in that way. But like for me, you know, the stories of the Bible. You know, David, Jonathan, um, Solomon, 
all these characters, you know, even even uh, Samson, um, can inspire you to persevere and uh, trust the Lord and continue on in life. Um, and I think that that is very valuable uh, and very influential in a young man's life or any child's life. Mm-hmm. They they need strong heroes. Right. Yeah, I I think, uh, and one of the um, the things about fiction is that it captures our, our imagination, and it, we tend to put ourselves in the character's place. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the tensions of a book like this. You have the main character styled, mm-hmm. and people want to see themselves as him. <laughs> yeah. You know, would I respond equally well, <laughs> given uh-huh. given difficulties? So that's one of the yeah. values of of fiction like this. Um, so I, I yeah. guess this is a maybe a, a step back and a bigger que- question, but thinking about even this book, but fiction in general, um, how, how, what part does faith play? So for, mm-hmm. even though that's not an overt part of this book, there is um, the undercurrent faith and belief um, so how, how, what part does that play both in this book and then how do you see that working out in, in life? Yeah, so faith is very central in influencing this book. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't write a, a uh, you know, 10 steps to be successful in your Christian life. Um, and I didn't, I didn't write an allegory like uh, uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I was writing a fun kid's story and presenting morals and truths um, and and presenting ideas that are uh, becoming more popular in, 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 in today's culture, uh, things that are being discussed in science, like uh, transhumanism and uh, asking the question basically without without asking it, but kind of giving the kid this thought of what is a man what makes someone human Um, because you're dealing with these creatures that used to be human but they've been surgically altered to include animal body parts are they still human are they still capable of morality Um, because these are questions that i think are going to be asked and need to be addressed by the church um especially with the rise of artificial intelligence and uh, uh, combining that with mankind. Um, so I think this is a, a, a very pertinent question that needs to be answered by the church. And so my faith um, was, I was personally asking these questions and thinking through them as I'm writing this book. And my faith, um, you know, I, I rely on it. <laughs> I rely on it a lot. Um it's it's very central to my life, and what the Bible says um, is very very important to me. So I, I tried to look at this from a biblical perspective, a Christian perspective, and uh, while keeping it age appropriate, um, asking asking these questions, and that really carries over into into life because this is this is the topics of our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. Looks like it's interesting too because the characters, although it's not faith in Christ, they have 
they have to believe something and act on it. They have to have faith and act on it. So when um, Stout and Sally hear about what's going on, they have the opportunity to believe and join or not. Yeah. I think that, that idea of the characters, um, they have faith in something. And mm-hmm. then it's not just left there as well. This is true, so what? <laughs> They're challenged exactly. to act on it. Right. Yeah. Um, so life is life is a journey, and I think that's one of the, the neat things about books like this or about C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, all of the allegories. You have this mm-hmm. picture of life as a journey, but it, it's kind of compacted into a smaller picture. But you have... Mm-hmm. Um, characters who are faced with un- uncertainty, with mm-hmm. danger, and how they address fear, and all those things. Um, how did your biblical worldview influence how your characters um, respond to to danger, to other people's um, lies, or? Um, did were you intentional at that, or did you just work that in as part of the story? You weren't really thinking about it. It's just because you wanted them to get to a certain place. Mm. So I think uh, it was much more of a uh, kind of unconscious um, uh, promotion of how to how to handle fear and danger as a Christian, which is you entrust it to God and you keep going put one foot in front of the other. Um, And that's really the only way that I've found to really deal with fear. Because, I mean, people say, oh, Mexico, you live in Mexico. That's dangerous. That's a bad place to be. You're like, well, yeah, but nowhere in the world is truly safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could get struck by lightning on your couch or you can just have a heart attack or, you know, I mean, Anything's possible. I could fall dead right now. I mean, but God gives us life and he takes it away at the proper time. And, um, you know, when when it's my time to go, it'll be my time to go and I won't have anything to say about it. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're faced with fear, the thing to do is just, you know, turn it over to God, put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Um, so I kind of I, I did I did uh, I did have my characters do that, um, but I think it was just much more of a subconscious thing because that's just just what I've lived through and how I see how I see that being the appropriate response of a Christian. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right. So in many ways, your characters are living out your worldview. You just have yes. put them into a a different world. <laughs> yes. Yes, and I and I try to keep the the, the world uh, consistent with um, reality to, to to a certain extent. I mean, obviously, we don't on a regular basis uh, conf- find ourselves confronted by dark eternals, but they do exist um, because they're really just demons. And you know, the Bible describes Satan as a dragon, and yet we know that, and as a fallen angel. And we know that angels can take on human form. So for me, it was just like, this makes perfect sense mm-hmm. um, to present them this way. Plus, it really works well with a fairy tale uh, story. Right. Yeah, when I was in college, I had my, my freshman year, had a guy on our dorm that he brought the books by uh, Peretti. 
uh, Piercing the Darkness, This Present Darkness. Mm-hmm. And those books kind of are like this, although they're not, the world they were set in was not a uh, kind of a fantasy world, but they presented the reality of demons and kind of made me guess how, how all that behind the scenes works, but they acknowledge the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, that was, those are really interesting books because they had the characters who were dealing with real life situations, but uh, they also made it very plain that it was a spiritual battle going on. Uh, and I think that's one of the things we often don't think about that we should. We need to be more aware of um, mm-hmm. the spiritual reality and the spiritual consequences of our, our actions, even at a simpler level, that the choices we make have consequences. Uh, the mm-hmm. influence we have in other people's life has eternal consequences, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and books like this, I, d- I do think, have the value, uh, the the potential to give us good conversations with our kids. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to take a break in just a minute and then come back for the second half. But um, before we do that, I know I want to talk about this a little bit, kind of what role the books play in discipling our kids. But this is something I've done, and I haven't done it real often with fiction, thinking back on it, because I, I maybe started later than I should have, particularly with more books like this. But when my children were probably in their mm, 13, 14, around where I started, I would give them a nonfiction book and say, uh, read this, and then we want to talk about it. And we'd kind of basically do a chapter or two at a time. It's like, hey, as you finish the chapter, mm-hmm. and come back. And a lot of times we did it around supper time. So I'd give mm-hmm. three kids, three books. Did you finish the next chapter? Okay. What was it about? First, give us a summary. What were the issues that were in it? Let's talk about them. And I, I waited until they were old enough to deal with nonfiction books. But really a book like this would work with someone much younger. Um, it would be a different conversation, obviously. Right. But right. it gives you that chance to talk about some of those moral issues and ask some questions and get them thinking. And I think that would have been a good preparation uh, thinking back on it for how I could have used something like this with my kids. So we'll come back and I want to ask kind of your opinion, how books, particularly non uh, fiction books work in our discipling and, and teaching our kids. So we'll take a quick break and be right back. The Association of Baptists for World Evangelism, a.k.a. ABWE, has a question for you. Are you curious about missions, or have you already embraced your call for the nations? Either way, attending a 24-hour demo event with ABWE is a great way to start your journey. The 24-hour demo is designed to help you develop a biblical theology of missions as well as understand the vision and values of ABWE. You will learn all about opportunities and needs all around the world and experience God's heartbeat for redeeming all peoples. As you grow in your understanding of the roles of the Sending Church and the Mission Agency, you will see what it means to steward your time, talents, and treasures for the Great Commission. If this sounds worthwhile to you, consider this. For a $20 registration fee, you'll receive lodging for two nights, meals and snacks, and lots of information and resources to guide you on your journey into missions. What are you waiting for? Visit abwe.org forward slash demo for more info and dates for upcoming demos. That's abwe.org forward slash demo. All right, we're back with Samuel Borman and talking about the book of wizards and warriors, but also bigger picture, just the idea of um, faith and life and literature and how all these things 
work together. You know, a lot of people have written a lot of great literature that uh, speaks to truth, that helps us to view biblical truth um, maybe more clearly. And I think that from my understanding of what we've talked about so far, that's that's part of your hope that people will understand uh, in this context, biblical morals and ask some, maybe some hard questions. Um, and that this book would give even children an opportunity to think through some of these things and um, give parents an opportunity to, to talk to their kids about important questions. So um, we're going to continue that now. And I guess thinking about truth, we would agree that the Bible is our foundation for truth. And one question that's just completely unrelated to the book or writing or anything else is, uh, why have we moved so far from biblical truth in the world today? Uh, sure. Um, I think that the easiest uh, easiest response is uh, the uh, the idea that everything is relative. Um, there's this kind of trend in universities or professors to say that, well, truth is relative. Um, and so then you end up with the erosion of ultimate truth. And you have people who say there is no ultimate truth. So if there's no ultimate truth, well, the Bible's just another book. Um, I mean, that's, that's logically the conclusion you come to. Um, and so... I think the the response is to just insist that no, there is is truth, um, and you can find it. And God says that to anyone who seeks, he who seeks will find, and whoever knocks, the door will be opened unto them. And so, if you seek truth and you seek knowledge uh, and wisdom, no matter where it leads you, um, if you if you seek it honestly, it will lead you to Christ. Um, I, I am convinced that God is God is good. God is omnipotent, and He, if if you search after truth, you will find Him, and and not anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the words you said there is one of the ones I was hoping that that you had mentioned. Talk about people believe that truth is relative, and one of the things I like about this genre and writing in a kind of an allegorical style is that um, we consider evil and things like that. Well, it depends on how you view it and all those kind of things. But in, in this genre, evil is is very present and very real, and it's ugly. <laughs> it is ugly. And it gives you a, a real image of it. So I think sometimes talking to, to children particularly, you talk about how, how bad is this uh, thing that they're doing. Maybe a, they told a little lie or something like that, and you're trying to help them see that uh, sin is sin. To have read a book like this and be able to talk back to the Dark Eternals, to have the image of evil that is a creature that is that is ugly, mm-hmm. um, and it has, you have consequences for playing with things like that. And I think that's one of the values of books like that. So, um, as we move away from truth in our culture, to help our kids understand the gravity of of sin and the reality that truth affects our lives, I think sometimes books like this can can give us an opportunity to have really good conversations, and yes. even to say, you know, what are the dragons in your life? You know, there are things that we we're afraid of that we need to confront, mm-hmm. and sometimes yeah. they're they're. Um, hidden. <laughs> sometimes they're not obvious. Uh, sometimes they are, but they're always ugly. 
and they always are detrimental to us. So that's one yeah. of the values I see of books of books like this. Yeah, yeah. And earlier you you mentioned how 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 do we have uh, talks with our children? How could this this book uh, help? I think that um, uh, children are much are very much aware of the spiritual side of the world. I mean, I remember as a little kid, you know, night was scary because it was dark. It was black. It was, you know, where shadows are. It's it's not that I was scared of the color black or I was scared of the night because I really enjoy looking at stars. Um, but when you're in the dark and you're not certain about faith and you're not certain that Christ is there with you, that he's the light and the truth and the way, and he will guide you through it. Well, darkness is scary because it is very real, very present. And um, nighttime for children is definitely a physical embodiment, I think, of, of, of darkness. And that's why so many children... And, and evil. And so that's why I think many children are scared of it, because they know intuitively that darkness is bad and dangerous. Um, and I mean, I mean, even kids who haven't been told stories about ghosts and stuff like that, they they're they're scared of 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 of, of beings that they can't see. Um, and I think that that is a God given gift that should not be just dismissed mm-hmm. um, because it is real. Uh, and I think the appropriate response to it is to talk with your children about it. Um, my parents did. Um, you know, they, they would pray with me before night. You know, they would tell me they never denied that ghosts weren't real. They never denied that demons weren't real. They never denied that there could be beings, spiritual beings that uh, attack us. Um, but they always said, well, if you're scared, pray to Jesus mm-hmm. and ask him to help you overcome it and ask him to give you peace to sleep. Mm-hmm. Because there's not another there's not another solution. Right. Um, and so that really helped me as, as a child because I used to have like this reoccurring nightmare of being chased by a monster. Um, and I would just be chased endlessly until I woke up. And I remember finally being like, I, I don't remember how old I was or anything, but I just remember being like, finally just had it angry. And I turned around and I yelled at this beast in my dream that you I'm not scared of you because Jesus is with me and the dream was gone I haven't had it since and so was that a demonic attack quite likely um that seems likely to me um but uh I think that modern evangelicals are a little bit scared about talking with their children about demons and ghosts and because they don't want their children be, to be drawn into the darkness and become Satanists, which is completely understandable. Um, but if you don't talk about it, they might begin dabbling in and looking into it on their own. And that's even more dangerous. Right. Um, 
And so I think that this book can really start some of those conversations, get kids thinking about good and evil, and that that is very important and essential for their spiritual and emotional health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that is key for us to understand is that the Bible sheds light on darkness. So we think about, yes, these things are did. There are demons. There are uh, these creatures in the night, so to speak. They're yeah. in the dark. But um, God's Word shines light on them and takes mm -hmm. away their power. And one of the things that I've done in Japan, uh, Japan's a very, um, a lot of people would claim to be Buddhist if you just ask, but a lot of people mm -hmm. are more um, animistic. Shintoism mm -hmm. would be more animistic religion. But I had a friend that was um, very animistic. He was in the hospital one time, and he shared with me the story how the hospital is right beside a cemetery. And while he was in the hospital, he said, I felt uh, this, he called it God, this God came into my room. And he said, I could, you, could, you couldn't see it, but you could, it's right there. You know, it's, it was a mm -hmm. presence, very real. And um, as he told me about it, I don't know what he was expecting me to do. I think he kind of thought I'd be shocked and like, oh, that can't be real. But I, so yeah, I absolutely believe that you, you had that experience and that there's something real was there. But my only um, thing that I want to really talk about here is like, I don't think you can call that God. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what we end up doing, and, and I recommend this to a lot of people, if you have someone that is that way, and they're talking about these, these beings of any kind, we took a piece of paper and I put down the creator God of the Bible on the left side, left column, the right column, um, little G, the little G God in the cemetery. And I said, well, let's just go down and compare and contrast these two. So where, because uh, if this is the God of the, the shrine over there, then you can pray to him, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I pray to him. So, so you can go home and you can just pray to him from home. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you have to go to the shrine. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's kind of localized. Oh, yeah, he he's, hangs out there. Okay. What does the Bible tell us about God? Okay, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can pray. For him. Yeah. So we just went through the characteristics of God, and I just asked him, based on the characteristics of God, what about that thing? And 100% of the time, he goes, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. not even close so we went through this and said so can you can agree with me that that's not god he said yeah if that's god it's not even close to god and, and we talked about the power and the authority that they have not even close so what we did is took another sheet of paper and said okay here's your answers for the the thing at the shrine and here's what the bible says about angels and demons and you know what they match it perfectly 100 percent said yeah i think so i think that thing um is a spiritual being. I don't think it's God. But let me ask you, because you could say, what well, could be an angel? So I don't think it'd be an angel, because based on your interaction with that thing, you think you're more or less likely to pursue the Creator God. So, well, yeah, you'd be satisfied with that thing. Okay, well, that would mean it's not God, because an angel would direct you to the Creator God. So that kind of conversation with our kids, maybe not to that detail, but the understanding that what the Bible tells us about these things is that they're real, but He sheds light on them. And when mm -hmm. he sheds light on them, one of the things he does is take away their power. Mm -hmm. If you understand yeah. and have the right relationship with Christ, then uh, you don't have to fear that thing because it's not anywhere close to God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that's valuable conversation to have with your kids. Yeah. And another thing, I no longer fear the night. Why? It's not just because I'm older. 
I, I truly believe that it is because my faith has grown with God. And so I am just, I, I enjoy the night. I enjoy being out after dark and looking at the stars, uh, you know, walking in the quote cool of the day um, and just enjoying like there's, there can be beauty in darkness if you're with Christ. And if you're not, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, I have neighbors who, they're scared to go out after dark mm-hmm. because they're not Christians and they, they truly believe there are demonic powers. There are spirits and malicious spirits and kind of benevolent spirits that, and then there's spirits that, well, they may hurt you or they may not hurt you depending on right. how they, how they're feeling today. Right. I mean, and they believe in witchcraft and they believe in curses and mm-hmm. why? Well, because they don't they don't have the power of god mm-hmm. they don't they don't believe in jesus and so they're they're helpless in front of these 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 powers so i guess this is um your book would be part of the answer for something like this talking about your kids but in that broader conversation of people who are still kind of enveloped in darkness how do we influence or communicate with people who either don't know or pretend not to care, particularly in the world today where people say, well, truth is, is relative. It doesn't matter to me. But they, they still have that fear. They still are wrapped in darkness. So how do you see us as believers um, breaking into that worldview that they have? Well, I don't think that we can do that. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our, our job is to present the truth. Um, and then it is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict and lead men to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I tell the truth. I present the gospel when I, when I am given the opportunity. I don't try to force myself on people because God is omnipotent and he knows the state of this person's eternal soul. And he knows whether they are of the elect and he will he will bring them to himself um and so my job is to not 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 force this to happen my job is to is to present the gospel um and that's the job of every believer um when you're when you're given an opportunity um some of us are called to leave our homelands um and others are called to live their daily lives where they are and present the gospel as they are able to. So uh, I wouldn't consider myself as uh, more important or uh, doing a more important work by living on the mission field. That's just where God has placed me. And so I live my life there as I can. And like I said, just trust in trust to God, the things that are out of your control and mm-hmm. put one foot in front of the other and, just keep going. Um, Good. Yeah, I, I say that a lot here. You know, we need to be faithful in doing the things that we can do, but we don't take on God's role. Uh, he's capable <laughs> of doing His role without us. Yes. I think it was, was it C.S. Lewis that said, somebody asked him about defending the Bible, and he said, you know, you just assume defend a lion. You know, God, God's perfectly capable of defending Himself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. But we do need to be do our part, and that is uh, often to be verbal. And and yep. at least be open to the conversation. 
So, okay, moving on a little bit, we kind of have touched on a, a little bit that um, role that fiction can play. And I brought it to fiction, not just books. Well, what role can fiction play in developing a spiritual life? Particularly now you've written this book that you see it as um, one that would help with those preteens, the, the earlier kids. But just in a larger picture, what role does literature, fiction, books play in or can they play in uh, the spiritual life of a person or a child? No. So I think it is very dangerous to build your spiritual life solely on fiction. I mean, that's how we get the, uh, the Mormon religion. As I understand it, the, the the Book of Mormon is based on a plagiarized novel. Um, so I would never encourage someone to build their faith solely on my book. You would get a very weird, very mistaken and twisted uh, worldview. Um, now, if that story points you to scripture, points you to truth, the Bible, um, then I would say, amen, read it, enjoy it, because that's what I want. I want to say, I want to get people thinking about truth, spirituality, um, the spiritual realm, what is man, what is good, what is evil, and um, that should lead them to, to scripture. Uh, not to not to my next novel. Um, my next novel is for 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 fun because um, I, I I want to write more books and I want to make this a series. But please please do not build your spiritual life on this book. Can it influence your spiritual life? Yes, I think it can. Um, just remember, the Bible is the Word of God, not not my book. Um, <laughs> so. That's that's what I would have to say. Right. So, um, in just in general, do would you say that fiction is a good vehicle for sharing truth? Yes, I, I think it is, um, because you can you can you can you can share it, and you don't have to worry about um, like if you're trying to write history, you have to be much more careful about getting all the details right. You have to do incredible amounts of research. And with a work of fiction, you have to do research. But um, if you get a if you get a detail wrong, people are going to be much more forgiving uh, in a work of fiction than something that claims to be even historically historical fiction. You know, like it's it's going to be a little bit more. They're going to be a little bit more harsh on your details, whatnot. So, what are the limits of? fiction in um in sharing the truth well the limit would be that it's none of these events actually happened um so i I think that would be the biggest limiting factor Um, all right good yeah I, i do think uh fiction art in general is can be a really good vehicle for uh both initiating conversations, be great at initiating conversations and kind of opening the door, but can also teach uh, quite mm-hmm. a bit about uh, about truth. And then I, I agree totally. Ultimately, good fiction that is going to be helpful in a, in the sense of helping us to grow is going to point us back toward Scripture, which is the truth. Um, and it may illustrate it. It may fit in the form of a parable, as Jesus told them. So it it helps illustrate that point and help us understand it better, but it can't replace the truth. So I think that's uh, a good point. So 
you mentioned it briefly, but you said you're planning on writing other books. Yes. Um, so kind of what, what's your thought going forward? What's your hope for your writing career? So um, I'm hoping to uh, uh, make it profitable enough to uh, do this long term um, and do this and do do lots of writing because I have, I believe, a gift from God to to write. Um, I don't believe it is fully developed. Um, I believe that 20 or 30 years from now, I will write better books than I do now. I mean, that's just part of uh, growing and developing. Um, but I have a couple, I think two more books planned for this, uh, this series. Um, now we're not going to be discussing Stout and Sally anymore, but we're going to continue kind of the, the, uh, a historical line, if you will, um, kind of like the Bible doesn't stay on Moses or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. You know, it it, it continues to tell a family story mm-hmm. um, and God's plan for redemption, um, but um, it doesn't it doesn't stick with one character unless you're talking about. God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I want to I went to write uh, a couple more books in this series, and I will probably write some other books. Uh, in fact, I have some ideas outlined for other books that won't necess- won't be won't be part of the same series, um, but will be a similar style, similar genre. Um, and the goal is to get people to think about. Um, difficult uh, topics, uh, topics they may not uh, really address or want to discuss in, you know, in person with somebody at, you know, pick a picnic or something, right? But they are willing to pick up a book and read a story that touches on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to encourage, one of the things I want to encourage is uh, young men to be masculine in a godly way. Because I believe that the modern world is attacking boys and men um, in a way that causes a lot of society, societal upheaval. Uh, you know, I think that one of the one of the uh, causes for mass shootings is fatherlessness mm-hmm. um, and broken lives and young men being told that they're bad because they're not a woman. Um, and so I think that also really uh, leads into the uh, uh, transgender movement um, that leads people to uh, suicide, that leads leads people to gangs because they don't have fathers present in their lives. They don't know how to handle their masculine nature. Um, and so I think that one of the best ways to do this is to give young men good stories of uh, godly masculine figures, um, and uh, especially at a young age, help them understand that they're not bad because they're a man. They're bad if they misuse the gifts that God has given them, their ability for violence. If they misuse it, that's bad. If they use it uh, effectively and for the good of society and their family, well, then it's good. Um but it needs to be bridled. It needs to be harnessed, and it needs to be under control. Mm-hmm. Good. So, do 
do you plan to write books for adults or do you primarily plan to stay in this kind of uh, for be a children's author? Is that your hope? I think mostly, mostly children's books. I really, I really like uh, writing, writing books. And there was, uh, I forget what author said this, but there was an author who said that if you can hold the attention of an eight to 10 year old boy, you can hold the attention of anyone. Um, and so I, I really, I, I probably will write some more adult uh, themed books. Um, maybe when I'm a little older, uh, I'm 23. I'm just getting started in my writing career. Um, I don't understand all of the uh, the nuances of being an adult, um, but uh, uh, I have I have thoughts. I have opinions, um, and. While I want to share them, I also want to be respectful of those who are older than me and more knowledgeable. Um, no. Mm -hmm. Good. So, okay, um, before we go, let us know where can people learn more about you as a writer and also to find your book? Yeah, so um, I have a newsletter. I also have a free book giveaway at uh, SamuelBornman.com. That is S-A-M-U-E-L-B-O-R-N-M-A-N.com. Uh, you can go there. You can get a free short story, um, and you can sign up to my newsletter. Um, you'll also find a link to to my Amazon sales page where you can find Of Wizards and Warriors uh, by Samuel Bornman. Uh, by Samuel Bornman. Um, and um, just uh, keep your eyes out for more books coming. Um, and uh, if you feel called to pray for me... Uh, feel free to do so. Uh, but please only pray for me in the name of Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> Awesome. I will uh, put a link to your website and the Amazon page where people can buy the book. And thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me.